Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. Vamos a abrir la palabra de Dios en Romanos capítulo 12, versículos 1 al 2. You can follow along in your Bibles. We have Bibles in the back if you need one. That's our gift to you if you don't have one. But also the verses will be up on the projector screen right behind me. And, um, and that will be from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. I'll read in English, but you can follow along in Spanish or in your heart language as well. Let's hear now with open ears and open hearts from the Word of God. Romans 12, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you because your will is good. Your will is perfect and pleasing. And Lord, we we thank you, God, that you always continue to make a way in our lives, Lord. And God, I just pray that you would speak to us this morning through your precious, precious word. Make us new. Give us a new and a clear understanding, God. Help us leave from here with a new um, understanding that we didn't have this morning, Lord God. Help us to see you through a new light through your precious word. Thank you, God. We love you and we pray all of this in the faithful name of Jesus. Amen. So one thing that we all have in common, whether we're taking our first steps with God or our next steps with God, is that we're all on a journey with God. And our journey with God is actually what's called our journey of discipleship. That's our journey of following Jesus. Whether we're new to that journey or older to that journey or left that journey and now returning to that journey, we're all on a journey with God, a journey of discipleship. And every journey needs to have a purpose, right? Needs to have a point. Otherwise, it can be a long, boring, pointless journey. Now our journey with Jesus, this journey of discipleship, has a purpose, and the purpose is to grow, to grow up from being a spiritual baby to becoming spiritually mature. That's the point. That's the purpose of our journey with God, whether we're younger, whether we're older, whether we're in school, whether we're married or not. Whatever season we're in, we're all on this discipleship journey and the purpose is to grow, to grow up from being a spiritual baby to becoming spiritually mature. The purpose and point of our journey of discipleship is not just to grow old. Some people think that's the point. Well, I've known about God all these years. I've grown old in my journey. No, the purpose isn't to just grow old, but to 
grow up, to grow mature. This Christian life is more than simply saying a prayer of commitment to Christ. That's extremely important. We all must take that step. But it is following Jesus, not only as our Savior, but also as our Lord, as our King, as our priority, as the one who is the center of our lives. That's the purpose. That's the goal of this journey with Jesus. To grow up, not just to grow old. As it says in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verse 1, and we can put it up, it tells us this. It says, so let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us instead go on and become mature in our understanding. Some of us are parents of of actual physical children, right? You know that that is the purpose and the point of parenting, that they would grow up and mature. If your child is 25, 30 years old and still wanting you to hand feed them or to change them, guess what? That's a failure. That's not how it should be. The purpose is to grow and to mature in the same way in our spiritual life. That is why we exist as a church community. That's why we come together every single week. That's why we sing praises, why we have prayers together, why we dive deep into the word of God. It is to grow up together. And when we grow up together, we're actually cultivating mature disciples who reflect Jesus Christ in our lives, our words, and our actions. That's who we're called to be. That's what we're called to do. Not just to slap a label on ourselves as Christian, but to reflect and taste like Jesus Christ through the fruits of the Spirit. This is why we exist. We cultivate and, and, and make disciples who then what? Who make disciples and so on. I'm called to be a disciple and I'm called to make a disciple. You're all called to be disciples and you're called to make disciples too. So we are disciples who make disciples who make disciples and so on. Somos discípulos que hacemos discípulos que hacemos discípulos. Esa es la, la, el, el camino con Dios. We need to grow up to be men and women of God. That's what he's called us to. That's who he's called us to be. Not just to settle, not just to conform. As the book of Romans said here, you need to refuse to conform to the patterns of this world. That includes the patterns of the world and the patterns of religiosity. That just say, oh no, I'm just going to keep it at this level, superficial, whatever it is. No, refuse to conform to that. You are called to so much more. You are called to grow. You are called to reflect Jesus Christ in your life, in your words, in your actions. To be a mighty woman of God. To be a mighty man of God. That's who you're created to be. Don't settle for anything less. Don't conform. Go beyond conforming. That's thinking outside of the box, really. 
Go beyond conforming, beyond simply calling yourself a Christian. That's a label that we know has been used, and let's be honest, misused in all kinds of contexts. But instead, may we follow Jesus as Christ-like disciples. May we follow and taste like Jesus. That goes so much more beyond a label, beyond a tradition, beyond an idea. The kingdom of God is not of this world. Jesus himself says that. Jesus is the king who came to really reverse the order of things. So it will be Jesus, uh, uh, be Jesus' followers, people like you and me, who actually go in a different direction. That's what it means to not conform to the patterns of this world. We see everyone going this direction. Well, we will know we are Jesus' followers when we're actually going a different direction from that. Yet sometimes we wouldn't know that, right? Sometimes we can slap the label of Christian, of religion, of whatever it may be, on really a pattern of the world going in a particular way. But Jesus will always go in a different direction. To not conform to the patterns of this world and to be disciples and followers of Jesus, to be a follower of a king whose kingdom is not of this world. And we're going we're, we're gonna to be thinking about this even throughout the week, right? Do your civic duty. Be a good citizen. Show up. Vote. Vote your conscience. Vote your conviction. Be consistent in that. Be a person of peace. But remember, even though we vote for different representatives, for different leaders, we have a king. And his kingdom is not of this world. It will taste different. Jesus actually defines what that means, that his kingdom is not of this world. In his most famous sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, several months ago, we actually did a whole series on the Sermon on the Mount. You can check that out on our podcasts or on YouTube or anything like that, but um, there's uh, so much there. But on this Sermon on the Mount, it actually ends and there's, there's a big celebration. Large crowds are there. They're all celebrating this amazing um, talk that Jesus just gave, this amazing new declaration that my kingdom is not of this world. Everyone is excited. Everyone is going wild. And it's amazing because we see throughout the ministry of Jesus that crowds can be deceptive. Crowds come and they go. Fans, likes, friends, all of that stuff, popularity, influencing, that comes and it goes. At the Sermon on the Mount, there were thousands. Again, crowds come and they go, yet who we're called to be is disciples. Disciples grow in shape, not just in size. Grow in shape and we grow in fruit, in bearing fruit not just in getting quick results. In the Sermon on the Mount, there are thousands there. But remember, after the thousands, how many actually ended up following Jesus? Twelve. There are more in this room than there were those after the Sermon on the Mount that truly followed Jesus. There were twelve. 
And then from those 12, on the last night of Jesus' of Jesus' life before he took the cross. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Were there 12 there with him? No. How many were left? Three. And then on the cross, it was just Jesus before God. The crowds, the popularity, the noise, all of that had come and had gone. But God was still there. God is the one we start this life with and God is the one we will end this life with. Others have seasons. They come and they go. Different types of crowds, right? Those at the Sermon on the Mount, the the apostles, the crowds, crowds and numbers, they fluctuate in different seasons of life and ministry. Crowds and the people that we know will fluctuate in different seasons of our lives. But disciples grow in shape. Crowds can seem like, a su- like successful results, but disciples seek to bear eternal fruit. You and I are seeking to bear eternal fruit, fruit that takes time, that takes patience, that takes resilience, that takes hard work. Some of us here in the Central Valley were uh, already connected to the ag business, agriculture business, right? What is the law of the farm? What is the law of bearing real fruit? It takes time. It takes patience. It takes persistence. It takes hard work. And that's what Jesus is doing in each one of us. Maybe you've been frustrated in your life thinking, God, when is this going to end? God, when am I going to see the fruit of this? He's working. He's bearing real fruit in your life. He's not going to settle for just quick results, for just instant gratification, because he's interested in eternal fruit in your life. Being disciples calls us to live out the extraordinary values that Jesus really preached. So after Jesus had preached the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew uh, 5 and 6, there was a big crowd again, right? And it's amazing how crowds come and go. Uh, Some of you are into sports. You know that the, uh, the World Series ended yesterday. The Houston Astros won it again. And a giant crowd there, right? But right now you go there, no one's there. I can even ask you right now. They won in 2022. Who who won the World Series in 2021? Nobody remembers. The Atlanta Braves. Who won the Super Bowl in 2022? The Rams. Wow. This no, not a sports crowd here today, right? But it's all good. It comes and goes. The popularity, the fame, the attraction, the crowd, the bigness, it comes. And as Susan is, it comes, it goes. That's what happened with Jesus here. After Matthew 5 and 6, he preached this big sermon. And then after that, the mood changes. He's telling a story of, of, of a sudden change. What happens next? There came this moment. There came an encounter with a Roman centurion, with a soldier who represented Rome. And we're going to read about that today in Matthew chapter 8. 
And everyone around that crowd is wondering, will Jesus actually live out what he preached? Or is he just another one of these teachers who talks about one thing but does another? In Matthew 8, verse 5, let's go ahead and, and go to it. It says this, and it should be up on, on the projector screen uh, for us here um, as well in a moment. But we'll read it for right now um, in uh, Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. And we'll get it up in a second. It says, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel, in my own community, with such great faith. So after Jesus had preached the sermon that his kingdom is not of this world, Jesus gets the test of how he was going to treat or love or be in relationship with someone who was not like him, someone who didn't think like him or act like him. The Roman centurion came to him asking for help. And the entire crowd really stood still. What's Jesus going to do here? This is where the rubber hits the road. This is a whole other level. Will Jesus live out what he preached on the Sermon on the Mount? And let me just give you a little bit of background here between the tension and the divisions that existed between these two groups, between Jews and Romans. And we know even in our context today, and even in this next week, we're going to be hearing a lot about tensions and divisions between different groups in our country. But just to give us a little bit of context here in the scriptures, Israel was actually under Roman occupation. The centurion, he was an enemy of the Jewish community, of, of and with the community that Jesus was a part of. Jesus was culturally a Jewish rabbi. And this centurion, this Roman, was asking him for help. And remember, here the centurion says, I'm under the authority of some. Some of those that he had been under the authority of would have really um, hurt the, the people of uh, the, the culture of Jesus, the Jewish community at the time. There was just too much history. In fact, this Roman centurion was a man who had earned his rank through obedience without question to such leaders and authorities. A Roman centurion, this enemy, who would have been viewed as an enemy, was now asking Jesus for help. Would Jesus actually live out his teaching of loving his enemy? Or would he just do, you know, what the patterns of this world do? Say one thing, but really do something else. Say one thing in private, but really act another way publicly. What would Jesus do here? 
would Jesus live out his teaching? Thousands were looking at him. He was right under the microscope. Would he give in to the culturally Jewish pressure that was expected of him to not treat the centurion with any kind of uh, compassion or empathy because they had been hurt by them? There was tensions between these two cultures, between these two tribes. So much there. So much name-calling. So much discrimination between the two groups. So much prejudice. The Roman centurion here, he represented everything that Jesus culturally had a right or would be self-justified in hating. And now that Roman centurion, that enemy is standing right in front of Jesus and he is asking for help. Imagine someone in your life that has hurt you, that has spoken badly of you, that has really um, done everything in the opposite of blessing you and is now coming in front of you asking for help. What would you do? You'd probably be asking questions I'd ask. Questions like, wait a minute, after everything that you did, you're asking me for a favor? After causing pain, you're asking for help? After I let you borrow thousands of dollars you pretended like I never gave you, now you're asking to borrow more? You never even apologized for that. Have you forgotten? Now there's just too much history. What is that for you? Who is that for you? That's what Jesus is confronted with here. Will he conform to the patterns of this world? Or will he actually live in this new way that he has proclaimed, where his kingdom is not of this world? You know, Jesus says it, right? If you want to help a stranger that you don't know, well, everyone's willing to do that, right? Anyone can do that. And that is a good thing. We do that regularly, even here at Imago, when we serve the community, when we do outreaches, when we do all of that. We're really there to just bless with no um, agenda, with no outcome, but just we, we're blessed and we wanna, we're blessed to be a blessing to others. Doing good for someone in this, in this situation is much different. Any of us, again, we can do good for someone we don't know, but will you do good for someone who actually hurt you? For someone who once was an enemy? It can feel like too much. It can feel like that's not fair. But friends, brothers, sisters, the path of discipleship is going one step beyond our own comfort going one step beyond our own control, going one step beyond our own expectations. But the call to discipleship, to follow Jesus in growing up to that next level, to that next stage, is a call that reminds us that our testimony is greater than our talent or than our ability. That our character is greater than just our charisma or our talents. 
that being Christ-like disciples is one step beyond just being called or labeled as Christians. Because anyone could be called or labeled as Christian and still hate their enemy. Just like the patterns of this world tell us to do, right? But here the rubber is hitting the road. You know, circling back to just this idea, right? Calling myself a Christian, you calling yourself a Christian, that's the easy part. Because it doesn't come at a cost. In fact, I mean, I've even read um, uh, some updates and statistics on this in our country today. Uh, What is it? Probably like 70% or 60% of the entire country would identify themselves as Christians, but only 30% are actually um, committed to a church. Most people who identify as Christian, even in our country today, don't even, uh, aren't even part of a faith community. That's just conforming to the pattern of the world. That's just checking off a label. God is calling us to so much more, to move beyond what is just reasonable, to be, move beyond what is just comfortable or expected, moving beyond what is just simply easy to us. It's hard because it's unnatural to go counter to my own instincts, counter to my own ways. And that was the point that Jesus was making. That's the point. You can't do it on your own. On your own, you can't hold this weight. You can't count this cost on your own. You can only go through it by the power of the Spirit in you. The Spirit of God that is in you that is greater than this world the Spirit of God that has overcome this world. In Christ, all things are possible. Even what we once thought or felt was impossible. Loving our enemies. Jesus serving a Roman centurion. That seemed completely impossible to that large crowd around him. But in Christ, all things are possible. Because here's the truth, and yeah, Jesus keeps saying that, right? If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Anyone can do that, right? Even sinners do that, Jesus says. That brand of love is so common. That's the pattern of this world. I just do good to those who could do good to me. That keeps us hidden behind our own label, behind our own title, behind our own brand, whatever we want to call that, behind our own social media handle. It keeps us with our tribes. It keeps us with those who already look, think, and act like us. And funny enough, you can do all that stuff and you can, you can still call it Christian or religious because it doesn't come at a cost to just slap a label on something or to just forward whatever. But to, ge- but to be disciples of the way of Jesus requires going one step beyond, beyond our own pattern, beyond our own comfort, and we can't do it on our own. One step beyond our own tribe, our own brand, our own style, even in churches, one step beyond just our preference, our preference of preaching or of worship style or whatever it may be. It goes one step beyond to love as Christ loved, to live as Christ lived, to taste as Christ tasted. 
going that step beyond stepping forward to the call and the testimony of being Christ-like. Not just being labeled as Christian, but being Christ-like in our lives, in our words, in our actions. Here in, in this passage that we're reading, all were watching Jesus to see what he was going to do. The rubber is now hitting the road. Will Jesus actually live out what he has been talking and preaching about? Everyone's watching out for that. What does he do? Let's read about that here in Matthew 8, 10 to 13. The moment of truth here. Will Jesus actually serve and love his enemy? Will he live out what he preached? It says this in 8, 10 to 13. It should be right behind me too. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west, and I will take their places at the feast of with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go! Let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. We have to decide, are we willing to follow Jesus into what seems impossible? Into loving an enemy who truly doesn't deserve it? Into blessing someone who truly had no intention of blessing us? Or will we be content with simply settling for the title, for the badge, for the bumper sticker, for the t-shirt, the for the label, for the tribe of Christianese, whatever that looks like for you? You and I are called to so much more, to grow up, not just to grow old. We're called to be Jesus followers. We're called to taste a particular way and Jesus followers will be found throughout history and throughout the world with or without the label sometimes. We proudly do take on the label as Christians because that's who we are. But we're, what, we're called us is, what we're called to is so much more than just a label, but to taste like Christ. And those who taste like Christ will be able to recognize each other and rejoice in each other and uh, build um, long, long life relationships with each other. We'll be able to experience what we call here at Imago hope through relationships with each other because we recognize Christ in each other. You know, my wife and I, we're around the same age, we're born in the same month of the same year, Charlotte and I, but in two completely different parts of the world. I was born in uh, Mexicali in Baja California in, in Mexico. She was born in a, a, a town, a village called Emberara in East Africa in Uganda. And true fact, the day that Charlotte was born on January 26, 1986, that was the end of a war, of a huge war on the day that she was born. But it was the beginning of a whole new era in that country. And Charlotte and I got to know each other when we were 21 years old, which is now almost 20 years old. Wow, babe, we're pretty old now, I think, right? 
we're getting there. I see the, the, the gray hairs every single day, one popping up. Um, we had very different upbringings, very different experiences. But what we saw in each other when we met was Christ in one another. I saw Christ in her, she saw Christ in me. Even though we're from completely different tribes, cultures, contexts, but the fruit was there. Christ recognizes Christ. Game recognizes game, I guess we can say, right? But um, Christ in each other, even through different contexts, different cultures, different tribes, different families, we shared those values. We saw them in one another, the values of the kingdom of God, an eternal kingdom that is beyond this world, that goes beyond geography, beyond tribe, beyond political party, beyond preference. That's who we represent a people who do not conform to the patterns of this world. Jesus followers, not just people with a label, people that taste a particular way, a people that throughout history and throughout the world find each other. In many ways, that's how we've found each other here at Imago Church. And we continue to find others and invite others into this journey of discipleship together. Christ in me, Christ in you, that's our unity. That's our hope that will not be shaken. You know, I'm sure that you have met many people in your life. Some that may have the label of Christian, some that may not. Some that kind of know how to get things sometimes with the Christianese language. Um, a, a number of people, I'll be honest with you, I, I've met all kinds of people. Some people are surprised that I'm a pastor, and it, it, sometimes it's a good thing, sometimes it's a bad thing. You know, they, When I tell them I'm a pastor, they're like, wow, I never thought you were a pastor. One of the reasons is because I, I tend to be down to earth, and I speak the way I do everywhere. I don't change the way that I talk or act in front of anyone. I, I still, I like to be consistent in that. But I've had other people, and, and I love that because that, that, that's a way to connect with people that have no context in, in church or in the faith. But I've also met other people who can use Christianese for different purposes. And um, maybe you have also, you know, just kind of like the religious language and language and the, the labels and, and whatnot. But um, I remember years ago, I was actually here in my office and there was a gentleman who knocked on the door, and we started talking, and uh, his name was actually Randall, and he came to me with all these, uh, you know, very, like, Christian words of, like, um, God bless you, pastor, um, but I, I knew there was something more to that conversation, something that he was seeking, something that he was needing, and that was okay. I was just listening to him and, and, and his conversation for the, for the moment. And that was a while ago. I was here with another staff member at the time. And um, this gentleman, after we just kind of listened to him and we, and we engaged him and we prayed with him, we, we gave him some help that he needed for the day. And he just paused and he, he uh, of all places, he was here in Visalia, but he was originally from Tennessee, from the south. And with this very thick and southern accent, he just kind of stopped all of the the religious language, and he just paused, and he just said, you know what? I like y'all. I like y'all. 
I like the spirit that's in you. And what this gentleman, Randall, was saying was you have the spirit of Christ. I recognize the spirit of Christ in this church, in this community. That's what he sensed. It wasn't just me. It was actually someone beyond me. And God's going to do that in your life too. He's probably already done it where he can love others through you. He can love others beyond you, in you, through you. You and I, we're called to go that step beyond. That is the power of Christ. That step beyond or what Jesus himself calls that extra mile. That extra mile of not conforming to the patterns of this world, but instead going in another direction and tasting like Jesus. Discipleship is our journey with Jesus. And this week, friends, brothers, sisters, may we go one step beyond, a step beyond just settling for a tribe or a label. And with the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ in us, may we step into the call of being Christ-like. Not just a quick label, but Christ-like. May we live out the call of Romans 12. And we'll read it here one more time before we end. May we, may we go one step beyond and live into the call of Romans 12.1 that says, In view of God's mercy, may we offer our lives and our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And as verse 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God is not just calling us to do more, but he's calling us to be more in him. The one who calls us is faithful, and he will do it. Let's pray. God, we thank you because you are good. You are God. You are faithful. Lord, you take that extra step toward us, and I pray that even in this journey of discipleship, this journey that we have with you, that we may take that bold step toward you. And may we see you do something new, Lord God. Would you make a new way? Lord Jesus, I just pray that whoever is here today may be able to just experience a touch from you, Lord. Would be able to experience a point of growth with you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you never call us for perfection but you are the one who will do the work of restoring, renewing, and perfecting us, Lord God. Thank you, Lord, that you don't call us to do this alone, but you're the one who goes ahead of us, Lord, to guide us. 
you're already in that place, Lord God. That place, that next level, that new season, that new beginning. And you're calling us to faithfully and courageously follow. God, help us this week to go a step beyond our comfort, a step beyond our expectations, a, spe a, a step beyond our own customs or patterns. May we go beyond the patterns of this world and enter, Lord, into this next level in this journey of discipleship with you. We love you, Lord. Take us beyond labels and help us, Lord God, to live out and taste like Jesus Christ in our lives, our words, our actions. Use it all, Lord, for your purposes. I pray for families here, Lord, that you would bring restoration, that you would bring renewal, that you would bring peace for individuals, Lord, dealing with sicknesses, Lord, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional health, all of that, Lord. We just bring it before your throne today, Lord, in Jesus' name. And we know, Lord God, that you are able. Nothing is impossible with you. We love you, Lord. Take us where you need to take us. We're here, Lord God. We're yielding. We're trusting. We're surrendering. We pray all of this in the beautiful name and the faithful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, church, if we can go ahead and stand as we conclude service with this last song today.